On this episode, Friends of Preaching Sense recap a trip across Europe. My voice is basically gone by this point, so um, sorry I guess. It was a long week. And by long I mean it lasted seven days. It was a week. As for the topics covered in this podcast, we talked about our tumultuous journey to Denmark, a Spanish festival called Las Fias, which basically consists of blowing lots of shit up and really loud noises, and also a discussion of the difference between the American political system and Scandinavian political systems. Some interesting stuff. Mr. Preaching Sucks, you buddy, your podcast. <laughs> All right, um, Jordan, would you like to give us a setting? Um, so, we're in London, in a very nice hotel, hypothetically, and also real, in, in reality. Jordan, it's an excellent setting. Jordan is dressed in a velvet bathrobe. Sturm. I wish it was velvet, because it's like some really scratchy cotton, actually. It's, I think it's comfortable. It's a nice, <laughs> that setting is inaccurate. You so, guys disagree very strongly about the same outfit. Sturm and I usually agree on things. This is a rare occurrence. <laughs> <laughs> so the rest of that setting is this now. You want me to say? We are in London because we have just completed a whirlwind tour of Europe over the past week. And it is St. Patrick's Day. And we are being herbs and staying in. Mucho St. Patrick's Because we are mucho fatigue. A lot of tiredness. <laughs> much, much tired. Very, to, very just tired. Just to let you know what I actually meant. I meant tired, not fat gay. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. For, That's a good joke, sir. For Way to start off the podcast with a joke. Gotta lighten the setting a little bit. (laughs) Very, very slightly necessary clarification. (laughs) So, as you can tell, listeners, we were in Spain before this and brushed up on our Spanish quite well. This is the international episode. So, I don't usually do good with background settings, but like my friends are visiting, were visiting me in Odense, and you guys are my friends. You're the ones that I'm talking about. (laughs) And we did a party in Odense, and then we... Well, before a, we got there, we rode a plane. We rode a plane, and there's, been, there's apparently a story on the plane that I that they have withheld telling me for the last eight days. And they're, they've been texting this random British dude named Joe. Snapchatting him, Snapchatting. They won't tell me who this guy is, and we maybe will hang out with him later. Shout tonight. out to Joe Frankel. <laughs> so That's his last name. Maybe you guys should tell me that. But then we went to, uh, we went to play some board games in Odense, went to Copenhagen... Did some Copenhagen things, learned about garbage cans, went to Valencia, <laughs> saw some uh, pinatas, giant pinatas. They didn't get Mucho, arms. mucho pinatas. Brett said some Keep insane, insane things. <laughs> so and now we're in the UK. I like how you backed the story up almost to its starting point and then just went all the way forward with it again. You left out that little fraction at the beginning that we will speak of now. So, May Sturm and Brett. Brett is the other person here. Hi, everybody. This is a new guest. Yo, His soy vacation. <laughs> I've been referenced in other in other podcasts. Yes, yeah, so you've gotten some shout-outs. The loyal outs. listeners. The loyal <coughs> listeners have heard of you, maybe. So we took a flight from JFK to London as our stopover for Denmark to visit Jordan. Odense? How do you say Odense? Odense. 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 That place Odense. is in Denmark. 
Denmark. Yes, confirmed. Confirmed it is. You, you live have, there. You guys have been to Denmark. <laughs> we have. Yes. We're, our chronology is a little weird right now, but... So, we now we will start the story that we referenced that we would tell earlier. So, we went on an airplane, and then, um... International flights are pretty dope, because... Sometimes. When you ride British Airways, they give you a nice comfy seat, and a nice movie screen to watch literally any movie ever. Good Arnold Schwarzenegger selection. Literally? It was Arnold's picks. Not literally. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, so literally. There actually were, there was a category in the movie selections. Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger's picks. picks, yes. Not movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger's picks? No, Arnold's picks. He <laughs> no. selected them. No, he no. In, and he selected well, all those famous movies that he's in. Yeah, surprisingly, he only picked his own films. <laughs> but um, but they're, they're still good picks, nonetheless. <laughs> yes, but there were so many movies we watched. Minority Report for, uh, we don't talk about the movie. That movie fucking Office blows. Christmas Party was pretty funny. So, uh, around the end of Office Christmas Party, in the chronology of the flight. Uh, back time, up back up a little bit. We're going to throw in the wine. I was Yeah, was well, the wine was, was free the whole time, so I just wanted to... We were drinking free wine on the We airport. were drinking before we even got on the flight. Yeah, some beers in the airport, some wine on the flights. Usually when you're on a flight and they give you, like, free drinks, they're not aggressively refilling you. They're trying to not get you fucked up or anything like that. You get, like, maybe two to three, and then you got to kind of beg for it after that, but... Somehow, some way, that was not the case on this day. <laughs> Good rock. Uh, so got through four large cups of wine in about ten minutes. <laughs> so my strategy was, I was thinking that they were going to be like stingy with the wine for the rest of the time. So there was two aisles, and we were in like the middle, so we had service on both sides. And so like one cart was like a little bit ahead of the other one. So like the first one came, and I got a wine, and I was like... Oh, actually, first I tried to order uh, a whiskey or something like yes. that, and she was like, "I mean, you can order that if you want, but beer and wine are free. You got to pay for that." And I was like, "I'll take the wine." <laughs> um, so I took the wine. This is, this is the 18th wow, time. well said. This is the 18th time we've heard him say this. We'll get to Sturm's repetitiveness, yes. I think, at continue. some point during this. this. New information. Um, yeah. No, so I like I saw the other cart was coming. Actually, I think I just drank that first one, and then the, the another another time they're coming down. I saw one cart was coming, so I got my first fill up, and I just like slurped it down as fast <laughs> as I possibly could. And it was in like enough time to get the other get the other cart. This was like a seven or eight second window. <laughs> yeah. So then I got another one from the Chugged other cart, and as they came, and then I drank that one really fast for reasons unknown. And then the other cart came back, and she was like, "Oh, you finished that already? Let me get you a refill." <laughs> so this is in about ten minutes. I had like four glasses, which was amazing. Um, he was fucking already feeling hammered. so good and celebratory. It was vacation, all I ever wanted. Much vacation. Vacation got to get away. Much. Well said. Well said. <laughs> um, Mies, how much wine did you consume in this time? I think I had two cups. Two dos cupos de la blanca. White. And then, <laughs> and you have to minus all the wine that you threw up later on. Don't spoil the story. Spoiler alert, bro. Whoopsie, so whoopsie. no, I like it because we're not. It's like a rival. It's nonlinear. Yeah. Anyway, Mies so was only able to throw up the wine because. He called a Chinese man who told him something <laughs> about his family. I don't know. Don't That's how he knew. <laughs> That's um, how I knew to drink. It was the bootstrap paradox. It's always the bootstrap paradox. We also, they also served us like this little meal that was like chicken and shit. And it was like, it was decent, but 
it probably wasn't the best thing to be eating. Yes. And we had Jesse in dinner like two and a half hours Yeah, we had some burgers and french fries. Grande meal. We interrupt this (laughs) message to remind you that our sponsors are British Airways. Perhaps if they would like to. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get Joe Frankel. Um, But yeah, then anyway. So off his Christmas party's over. He's four wines deep. Uh, I was more than that at that point. So to back up a little, at some point in the middle of office Christmas party was when the food came out. We interrupt this podcast to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by Office Christmas Party, if you would like to. Uh, I like it. I like it. The movie will sponsor us. Um, this also brought to you by Jimmy Butler. He's in that movie. The Good fun fact. Basketball? Yeah. Basket. He's the basketball. He's, he's the basket bowl. The orange, the orange round man. We'll get the team bowl later in the podcast. I'm going to need a laugh for that pun, Joe. <laughs> We're pausing for laughter. He'll laugh when he hears it. Applause. Jimmy Butler is the basket bull. Bull. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> so, yes, this food came out and I ate some. Nice. Bro. And then shortly thereafter, I started to feel not that good. Well, the, the flight was also kind of like turbulent. Oh, yes. We it were was like literally a, the last row of the yeah. plane and it was very mucho bumpy. <laughs> mucho bumpy, but also mucho nice because we were right next to the, to the bathroom. Um, Which came in handy. Yeah, so like Mises is like, oh, I'm not not feeling great. Like I think he's just gotta like take a big poop or something. So I get up and like I'm just standing there because like I'm like he's gonna be out in a minute or two. So I I could just use a good stand right now. I'm a little sauced. Um, and then like as as I'm standing there, one of the flight attendants come up and he's this like little Brazilian guy. He just starts like talking to me. He's like, oh, is that your brother? Like, you guys... The you brother guys brothers. came from you. You told him we were brothers. No, he asked me if we were brothers. Oh, cool, okay. He asked me if we were brothers, so I was like, yeah, obviously, uh, but we <laughs> we have different dads, because um, that's just a reference to something that we did in the past, and I said... You only have the same dads that'd be blood brothers. <laughs> yeah, but... That's correct. Right, you need a blood oath, that's it. <laughs> yes, we did a blood oath when we were younger. Yes, so this guy's like trying to get a little background out of me, and he basically just like abruptly stops and is like, "You need some more wine. Let me refill your cup." So this guy like continues to give me more wine. So I'm like at this point, real sauced. And then it becomes apparent to me that this guy is gay and would like would like would like to touch me, and he's like squeezing me and (laughs) calling me so cute and tickling me, and. I'm like, where's my brother? <laughs> and then he's like, oh, yeah, he's been in the bathroom for a while. Do you want to go check on him? And I was like, how long has it been? And then I start banging on the door, at which point... You want me to say what happened? Yeah, I was vomiting very loudly. <laughs> no, I thought you fell asleep. No, 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 at one point. Sure. So, yeah, I was throwing up in the bathroom for a very long time. I think probably 45 minutes. At that. I think they knew, actually, yeah, they knew you were throwing up. I wasn't that sure, so I'd sit and sat back down at this point to get away from the the touchy feely Brazilian guy, nice guy and all, but you know, yeah, just Wait, a little, what about little aggressive. The part where he invited you to the front of the plane. Oh right, we'll get to that. Okay, <laughs> right. So to keep the timeline intact, after this long vomiting, I came back to my seat and I was feeling not that great. So I put on Interstellar for comfort, just to feel nice. Did you? <laughs> I did. Uh, I watched it for about 12 minutes, just as Murph landed the plane down on that bank, you know, and it, it slides nicely down. It's a drone. The drone plane. <laughs> the drone that looks like a plane. I started to feel, like, not not good again. Moy Mal. Is it because of Interstellar? 
I don't know. It could be. <laughs> it's possible. I don't know I what I was sure. doing. You um, were, uh, but you were, you might have passed out from the wine. I'm oh sure yeah, I decided it was time for me to go to sleep. Um, but Mies had to get up again, at which point this guy started giving me more wine. Maybe this, maybe my memory's not great. I think, I'll, I'm pretty sure what happened was I got up and went to the bathroom again to go throw up moss, and, moss, moss more times. And that's when my part that I yes, said Yes, then he happened. came and woke you up from yeah, your nap. Right, you right. Out. No, 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 I wasn't that drunk. Like, I had only had like three or four glasses of wine at this, the first time. And then I decided it's time for me to finally go to sleep. Then Mies woke up and then he had to wake me up to get Mies. Right. And that's when this sequence of right, events began. Right, you can see it's okay. <laughs> um, just to clarify when you say not that drunk you're talking like six double drinks yeah, you, you just were, have a large tolerance you for were, alcohol you were, you were and you know just another walk in the park right Maybe. yeah that's what you do in the park for sure. um but yeah this guy's like telling me he's like oh are you sleepy like we have secret beds on this plane underneath for the staff to go lay down if you want I can take you to one of them I don't think he said that he said that time. no he, he offered one to there me were, there were beds in the front in first class it was the biggest plane I've ever he seen no, no, but saying, not I that. think he was saying they were like secret sleeping chambers yes. for the crew I came, <laughs> back, I came back to hear this part they have secret sleeping chambers for the crew wow. for overnight flights. flights Yeah, and he mentioned that they have very nice comfortable beds there and I'm not sure if he he definitely offered one to me I don't know oh. if he said he was going to bring me there or if he just like was gonna tell me where to right, go. Right, I think he, he. It was sort of ambiguous if he was gonna take Sturm and lead him to one, or he would just would let him go on his own, and oh, then maybe sure. he'd sneak in while you were asleep <laughs> and cuddle with you. Oh, I'm we, not sure. Yes, cuddle. You may not be interested, but you should accept people with different sexual preferences. <laughs> says politically correct Mako. <laughs> well done, politically correct Mako. Good one. A character that has been invented um, for our comedic purposes. Rule number seventeen. Yeah. So I did not take him up on his offer. And um, Mies finds his way out of the bathroom, and then immediately, upon stepping out of the bathroom, the, j- the job had not yet been finished, because I look at him like, how you feeling? And he just goes, bleh, and throws up directly on the floor. Um, at this point, this is, this is a few hours later, I think at this point we're halfway to two-thirds of the way through a six-hour flight, and I was throwing up just water. There was yeah. no no more things in my body. This was toward the end. Yeah. Um, like a pleasant journey. After yeah. having passed out sitting on the toilet for a long yeah. amount of time. Yeah. Brett, what were you doing the whole time? I was sleeping the entire time. And what actually what happened was I like felt a little turbulence, I guess. And then I felt a lot of hands on my ears. And I looked what? up and Stern was rubbing my ears. He's like, yo, bro. Meeks is fucking puking. Best <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and I turn around and Meeks is sitting in his chair, like slanted over <laughs> on the side. Stern's lips are as purple as Barney the dinosaur. And oh, then tiny. there's... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take that flight attendant up, but Barney the was there. And the flight attendant, I don't know where he was, but I know what he looked so like from earlier. Man. <laughs> so I missed this entire event, but I was the most sober and the least sick to recall the events that yeah. are being told. Brett raises his hand up to for emphasis. <laughs> Brett indicates that he is the one who is talking. But Brett He's, had no wine and no food on this flight, so we don't know what the control was in right. this experiment. So we'll have to try it again. I, yes. I, think I will drink the wine. You will eat the food. Brett will. Do not sleep. <laughs> I think maybe the love and the love transcends time and space line from Interstellar is to blame. Is the reason. <laughs> Mies doesn't like that line. I really don't like so, that line. I like that line. He so heard it. No. I think love to does trigger. Then we we are exiting the flight and I see Mies and I'm like, 
how are you? He's like, we're having serious issues, and I didn't necessarily know. Yeah, we touched down in London around 11.30 noon-ish. Sure. Doesn't matter. Um, We had a three-ish hour layover upcoming. And Mies could barely walk past the first gate, the first, like, bench that people could sit on. He just goes, I need to lay, I need to lay here. And he lays there. We're gonna have a sit. Sturm is repeating the story with the flight attendant over and over again. I telling think me about this the point, I was mucho drunk. This is your peak <laughs> drunk. And the way that Sturm was telling the story is he was literally on loop. The story would conclude and he would just immediately start it over. Yeah. There was no break time. He literally said the line, you know, the complimentary line to me, 18 times. like, she said, we I had to pay for it, but why me? It was complimentary. I said, okay, I'll have extra one. That's how you know. That's how you know it's starting. It's like a glitching robot or something. <laughs> but usually some of the minor details change. Like they you, did. You were they telling were. the story of the price the last time you had to go to hospital for uh, an injury, and... It, first, the price was $50,000, <laughs> then it was $20,000, and then 10 minutes later, it was a few thousand dollars. So I'm still not sure. It's probably an average of the three. Let, let's just talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> Fair enough. That's another part of the trip. We had a lot of pain on this trip. <laughs> Mucho must. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're in, the, we're in the airport, and Brett goes into uh, worried parent mode yep. and goes... First, I think I go to, like, try to find someone to help, and Brett's going to stay with him because we decided it'd be better if the responsible person stuck with the sick person. Not the really, really drunk person yeah. who maybe was going to need so, to be hospitalized also. <laughs> I, like, walk out. I forget where we are in this terminal. And, like, I look around, and I see nothing. I was like, it's impossible. We're not going to be able to find anybody. We just got to go. And then Brett goes out, like, two minutes, has come back with somebody. So he was a more effective person. Yeah. And this person happens to be... Is it Joe? Mr. Joe Frankel. <laughs> Joe Our Frankel. favorite security guard at Heathrow Airport. Um, yeah. By the way, while Stern was telling this story, I had my head just in my knees, just muttering to myself, please die, Stern. Please die. I Stern really kept offering you to stop Pepto. Talking. He kept offering him Pepto-Bismol. You offered it so many, so many times. times. I've still got the Pepto if you need it. I really don't want it still. And we had three <laughs> hours before our flight, and Sturm, every three minutes, was like, okay, Mies, you're fine now. Let's go. Yeah. I was, I was sprawled there. Sprawled on, on the ground, on, the, on my face, Dude, trying, Stern. rolling around, and Sturm's like, okay, Mies. We have two hours and 40 minutes till our flight. Let's move. Come on. Move where? To the next bench or something. We hadn't got very far off the thing, so I was concerned that we didn't have enough time to get to the other gate. Right. And the initial, yeah, uh, two hours and the initial response from security said, we won't be there for a minimum of an hour. And I said, he might die of dehydration. I think it was like, we got it down to 30 minutes or something. Yeah, yeah. Brett was playing up my uh, possibility of death. I had to. And I was Joe like, we got to get someone here. Joe spent this time with us. And uh, in that time, he was like trying to figure out what was wrong. And I decided it would be a funny joke to convince people that he was dying of AIDS. Sturm told the security people that I had AIDS. And they were laughing at it a lot. Joe liked it. We bonded over... We had a, a spirited discussion over that song that... You have AIDS. From Family Not Life. HIV. I thought it was from South Park or Team America. But oh, he... He kept up. going back and forth because he was drunk. Those are the two AIDS songs, I guess. He pulled up Everyone the has AIDS. While he was curled in a ball wishing to die, they were trying to decide what Family Guy or South Park the AIDS song was from. <laughs> and so then... Mies contracted AIDS mid-flight. <laughs> yeah. 
They actually did give me a blood test. They did. <laughs> That's a real thing. And they, they told did. Sturm they gave him the Why? AIDS test. And he they wanted like, to okay. test <laughs> Sturm's like, yep, that's the AIDS test for my friend with AIDS. No, uh, they wanted to test my blood sugar for some reason, but I think they were just lying to me. I think that they might have been scared I had AIDS and they wanted to... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, you can't take a threat like that non-seriously. Right. If someone has got AIDS, they need to not be spilling blood everywhere, so they had to know. Also, quick to know. quick visual question. Jordan, are you wearing pants under that robe? Indeed, I am. Are you wearing pants I, under I that robe? I am, yeah. That's cool, you guys, wearing uh, pants. I was a little <laughs> concerned that you might not be, and the way you're sitting would not be conducive to that. Brett, Brett and I already made sure. <laughs> okay. Thanks, I Brett. I can always count on you for yeah. that. If you're not wanting to see other men's I genitals, that. I would have included that in the setting. That's that's newsworthy. <laughs> setting worthy. So what did they ask you? Did they? Oh uh, well, our friend Joe. Our friend Joe brought over a team of paramedics. Yes. They had. I had like one person on each limb. I had the blood test in my finger. They had the the um, checking my blood pressure on my arm. They took my temperature. They were one mucho person pictures, feeding me water. <laughs> mucho mucho pictures. I think for this podcast, I'll probably put the picture. As the podcast yes, picture, you think? Yes. For the episode picture. But I don't know. There are plenty of other choices from other events later in the vacation. So I'm not sure. But yeah, there was a whole team of people trying to keep me alive. And then slowly I started to feel a bit better. And Sturm didn't really get any more sober. No. <laughs> not at no. all. No. moment. Still drunk for eight days now. I forget getting on the second plane. Sturm is sober now, though. Well, the second plane, we were in the airport. We had to. We ate that breakfast in like three minutes and then ran to the oh, game. No, yeah, so you ran, ran in three minutes. Game. I ran to the game. Brett sprinted through the airport because the ticket said the gates were going to close. It's just not a thing that happens 30 minutes before flight. <laughs> Brett ran very fast. I was like, can we please slow down? You consumed an eggs Benedict in maybe 14 yeah. seconds. And then we had airborne or whatever that gimmick medicine that they prescribed. Oh, yeah, they gave. Uh, that was the medicine some, uh, they gave you. There was like an acid. It was just a bunch capsules. of vitamin B, C, D, E, and F. And I just ate. It said like the, I didn't realize the instructions said like put it in water and then drink it. I just put one of those in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and my mouth started like foaming everywhere. So I was running around screaming AIDS with my mouth foaming. <laughs> in an airport, that's probably not a good thing to do for future. And then we got on the plane and Sturm said, "I'm sober now," and I was like, "You are not sober." <laughs> No, no, silver. <laughs> Wait, so you're saying when Sturm just declares something, it doesn't just become true? Yes, that is Mace, exactly. you are okay now. <laughs> he tried that. He really tried to tell me, tell my body, you are okay. Become okay now, You gotta body. try every every available strategy. <sighs> oh, every single one. We tried all the strategies, and they finally worked. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Sturm has removed his shower cap. It is While saying that inspirational quote. It is, it is on. It is on. Can, don't. Yes. Let's make some sound effects. Audio effects. Let the listeners know that Jordan is credible. Soup. Soup is onomatopoetic. Yeah. As I have invented. I think I made that up. Soup. Soup. That's not how I eat soup. Soup. So. Soup. Touche. Touche. I think we've adequately. Do you have any questions for our story, Jordan? I would like to know more about this joke figure. Oh, he he and Sturm shared AIDS jokes for about 45 minutes. Is that mostly the basis of your common interests at this yes. point? Uh, I would disagree that it's not mostly, it is entirely. <laughs> <laughs> Similar senses of humor, I would say. And he was asking us, like, oh, what are you doing? I was like, oh, we're going to visit our bro in Denmark, man. And then we're going to Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, oh, that's pretty nice, man. 
And I was like, we're going to be in London next Friday. And he was like, oh, well, that, that's lovely. Uh, maybe we can <laughs> hang out. And I was like, maybe I said, we should hang out. <laughs> and we became Snapchat friends. That's that's how it starts. Sometimes that's how it ends. In this case. <laughs> and how it ends. Actually, so Joe will appear again later in the story. Meese made the recovery of a lifetime. If we go into later, when we get to Odense. 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 Should we talk Odense. about what happened to Odense. Brett and Odense? As our next medical issue? <laughs> yes. So so we're the whole time, we know that we're looking for, we're getting to Odense, what, like five or six we got there? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a beer Olympics that was coming up. Oh, yes. We immediately had to do a beer Olympics <laughs> we following We traveled for disaster. like 20 straight hours <laughs> to told- get to this beer Olympics. I told them, when I told all my friends in Odense that my friends are coming, they're like, oh, when are they getting here? You're throwing a beer Olympics, that's super nice. And then I was like, oh, they're getting here at six. And they were all like, what? <laughs> Aren't they going to be super jet lagged? But, you know, we, we, uh, it was, it, it, it needed to be done. And by jet lagged, they probably weren't implying nearly dead <laughs> on an airport floor vomiting for four straight hours. I didn't realize you'd be drinking so heavily and watching interstellar <laughs> lines that you don't like. <laughs> it's not my fault. No, but it was okay, because we did the Beer Olympics anyway, and we didn't win. We did not win, but that's the Beer Olympics, there were five games, we got through three... And then we kind of just left. So it was it was good. It served its purpose. It served its purpose. And then Brett went to sleep in front of the night in the bathroom. Well, as Brett far is, as we believe. Brett is still skeptical that <laughs> he's disappeared for two hours from three to five in the morning. And someone was locked in the bathroom. <laughs> and and someone did not answer when I knocked on the door a lot of times. The jury's still out on whether Brett or not that was Brett. Brett still does not believe that that, that, that was him. For <laughs> listeners that are new to Brett Altman, he is a... Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? He is a very heavy sleeper and can fall asleep standing up, which I've done at a Bruce Springsteen concert. Where else have I fallen asleep? Probably everywhere. In- well, I'll say that the the time that you slept the heaviest, if that makes any sense, is you were passed on the couch once and I accidentally jammed the corner of the coffee table and right <laughs> into your kneecap, like as hard as you can. I tripped and fell, accidentally kicked it with a lot of force right into your knee and you just mouthed ow in as much pain and agony as I've ever seen anyone. Just like, Ah! But no sounds came out. Just a very, very wild facial expression. And you did not open your eyes. You stayed asleep and then stayed on that couch for three more hours without moving. On a monthly basis, I told Meese he's allowed to physically harm me to wake me up so I don't sleep in my contacts. Brett tore his ACL in his sleep and stayed sleeping. Uh, so anyway. That was what inside. Alright. We met lots of people. Denmark lots of is cool. People. Let's talk about the difference between Odense and other places. Yeah, that quote is applicable here. Um, So yeah, we were going to talk about Bluffield, and now we're going to talk about um, social differences between people of all of your, your... what should we call them? Like a harem? Like Jordan's gathering of oh, sexual my, partners? My roommates and... and, uh, and, and I don't friends. think harem is the word. Yeah, that's a, that's it was a, a joke. That's not, that's not so fair. Describe your... To my roommates. <laughs> uh, well, it was, a, it was an amalgamation of... It was... Uh, I threw the party, but then my I live with 11 people, and they invited everyone. So it, it's a really tight-knit community there. And it's a, like a lot of different Europeans um, from all over. So... Um, there's some Finns, some Portuguese, some Italians, some Spanish people, some 
Germans, Germans, Germans. Yeah, just a, a, a beautiful uh, mix of people from all over. Eclectic group of white people, as I said. Oh, no, there yes. were Spanish people. Well, They're white-skinned people. They would not like being called black. They're not black. <laughs> They're despite, despite their team name, Los Africanos. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we were in Copenhagen after this, and we saw a lot more Americans in Copenhagen, because there aren't very many Americans in Odense. And for me, that was really cool. I was like, oh, these are people are from America. That's interesting. And we talked about uh, this cafe that we both knew in D.C. And it was basically that game you play where you say, oh, do you know this place? No, 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 not that one. The one next to that one. No, 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 not quite. Like, like 10 feet further down the street. And then you, you both realize that you're talking about the same place. And then the relationship ends. And that's, that's the entire game. You high five. And you've successfully realized that you know the same cafe from the city that you spend time in. What a wonderful game. It's I recommend great. that everyone play it. It's a great game. The anyway, game is not interesting uh, or it, it, it was interesting to me. It's it was interesting to me because I, I, I think it wasn't interesting to any of you because you're used to the American culture. It was interesting to me because I, I hadn't been exposed to that as much. So I think there are like a lot of differences probably what you guys noticed maybe between us... Europeans and yeah, well, you, Los Americanos. Europeans have accents, lots of different kinds. Yeah, Americans don't have accents. No. Talk. <laughs> I'd say we didn't get a ton of social interaction with people outside of Odense. Like, that was a pretty interesting experience because we got to meet people from all those different cultures you were explaining, and that was, like, the most interaction we had. Like, Copenhagen, we, we had our running tour guide. And she was pretty cool. She was just telling us, like, broad terms of the social and cultural differences. But I don't think we really interacted with that many people to give us actual examples. Well, they are, it is mostly just white people. It's kind of weird that you wouldn't be able to distinguish the people from Americans at all based on looks, for the most part anyway. The only real difference is in their speaking. So it's kind of weird that there's this whole thing where people are really intrigued by foreigners. But it's just, they just talk worse. Maybe Brett can explain, because he's an accent guy, why, <laughs> why there's such an infatuation with people who speak the same language, just not as good as us. Uh, there might be some sort of mystery to, you know, like, the, like what's their background? And, and, and I don't know, there's... I, I, mysterious, yeah, that's fair. There's a mysterious fit factor, too. You're meeting someone in another country, we're abroad, we're on vacation, but, I mean, the accents we've, we've heard were muy, muy... Impressivo. Caliente. Yeah, I guess, Muy hot. <laughs> I guess it's just like, it's sort of like automatically interesting if you go to it, if you put yourself in a different culture, because there's so much, just even in a, there's so much different about you that's just noticeable immediately in terms of like perhaps how you dress and how you talk and like the, the different expressions that you know. So like for people that implant themselves in a new culture, even if they like suck at like small talk or something, they they automatically have some interesting like qualities right away. Agree. Yeah. Agreement. There was uh, the cliche. Diff- you do the noise longer. It was okay. A, it was a car outside. <laughs> That's how a car sound like. <laughs> Moist, stupid. <laughs> Talk about the cliche game you play. Yes, we were trying to figure out. Well, we were trying to play this cliche game that Brett and I will sometimes play for social interacting, oh, where you yeah. you say cliche. It's kind of like the name game, 
um, it, you say cliche and then someone else has to say a cliche that starts with the last word of the previous cliche. Live, and, love, love, and laugh. Laugh, live, love, and laugh. That's Live, why. laugh, love, blind. We're doing the game. Dumb. We're doing the game poorly. L- lose yourself in the music. Music is good for the soul. I get it now. Okay. <laughs> Souls don't exist. Good game. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> so, yeah, the game doesn't really work even for people who speak English well in other countries because they have different cliches and different weird expressions, and that's sort of confusing. It took trial and error for us to figure that out with uh, some folks from Germany. Yeah. Jordan, give us some expressions like the Finnish expressions. Their cliches, what they say. Your thumb um, is in your ass. It's just like... It's, <laughs> it's, no, it's, that's not it's one of them. When they're broke, they say, like, I'm, my ass is open or something. Uh, like, not, in, not, not implying anything like... Sexually, I don't know how they get from point A to point B in Finland, but, but the, there's also a "What are you hearing?" is means like "What are you doing?" Like they don't want to know just what music. That's how they to. greet. Yeah, it's like "What's up, man? What you what are you hearing?" You know, uh, you know, I'm just sitting here playing with my Legos. <laughs> I'm hearing some Lego sounds. But yeah, Legos are a pretty quiet toy. I like when we ask the cab driver in Denmark, "How are you?" and he's just like, "I'm fine." <laughs> what do you what do you what do you mean? <laughs> what do you want to know? I, I think though it was refreshing to hear the accents a, but b to go to a country like Denmark where they have such a focus on clean streets and efficiencies with transportation. I don't know if that, talk uh, about your segue. new favorite company. I want company. a segue. Segway it's a right. Segway. Now we will talk. Now about we're going to talk about another liable. sponsor named Libel, <laughs> which we went into the Copenhagen's version of the ghetto. And um, basically, there's formally this defined as any uh, urban dwelling that has a certain amount of people below the poverty line and don't have jobs or something. It's a much more formal definition than ghetto. The way ghetto is used in America, it is not an adjective. It is a noun. And so, Jordan, that's cor- ghetto, man. Correct me if I'm wrong <laughs> when I repeat this, but. Um, there's a company, so Copenhagen wants to get all their citizens more active, so their goal, one of their goals was to get over 50% of the country riding bikes on all a regular way, basis, all right? All the way up from 48.5. Yeah, that was right. funny. It's like, right. let's hit this 50% benchmark. We only have 48.5% of people riding bikes. <laughs> but that's amazing. 50% is amazing. 48.5 is also amazing. It is. They are both amazing. Okay, continue. I'm, I'm very much amazed. Um, Mucho. And then the second thing we learned about when we were in the ghetto, there's this company called Libel, which they are trying to get citizens out who who don't have necessary job skills out into the world and out of their apartments and dwellings. So they will literally pay anyone. If you come in, they'll pay you a salary to do everyday tasks such as riding riding the bus, maybe riding your bike, making some green tea. Shaking hands with Jordan Rosenblum. I mean, these are things that they want society to interact. Yeah, no one and it's a very inspiring. Let's test it out. See how it feels. I think I need ten dollars for that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Good joke, Brett. Yeah. So I think My it's, hand has been it's visual by. visual background confirmed. Uh, I think it's pretty well known that Denmark is a very um, socially advanced country, and they have a lot of things in place both from their government and from the private industry, like Brett was explaining. Um, and it was I thought it was very interesting to see, you know, how those things are in effect and how the people kind of react to them. We actually, we, we had a very extensive talk with our, our tour guide that we had, and um, we were telling her kind of, 
basically the preaching sense elevator speech about how yeah the preaching uh, sense elevator speech <laughs> rational thinking nine to five suck and sometimes we talk about sports yeah but Denmark is a country where the government kind of supports that as well and like there's a lot of things in place to help the poor and to help the people who don't have jobs and to help yeah. you know these people Brett is talking about and because there's so much of this assistance and aid ayuda in place um <laughs> it's becoming a more this it's actually causing a little bit of a problem because it's it's so such a desirable place to live that more immigrants and did you say refugees are coming into well that that's a very like uh, polarizing p- political uh, right. topic there in in Denmark i don't know that there are, uh, like, a few more because of the migration crisis in Europe in recent years. It's not a huge amount more, but it is a very, uh, compared to the rest of the political spectrum, where Denmark is far to the left of, as is the rest of Scandinavia, to, to, of, to the left of where the U.S. is, uh, immigration is a more, like, I would say there's a more conservative response to that. And a lot of people say, because they're such a big welfare state, if you think theoretically... Um, you can't let everyone into that country because then if you let everyone in the world into Denmark, they wouldn't have enough resources like to to support everyone. So there's a there's like a amount of uh, immigrants that there's a right balance of letting people in. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that, that's where something like that. Do you want to I want to say something about open borders before you continue? It's sure. kind of a misconception amongst. Americans, especially people that are on the far left, where they assume that this is in no way pro-Trump's immigration policies, but they sort of assume that we've basically had open borders until now, and it's not at all the case. Like It is necessary to have some sort of limitation because, yeah, you can't have all of the immigrants going into your country and then the quality of life just becomes way worse for everyone. Right, but in Denmark, and in Copenhagen specifically, the quality of life is, I think, very high. And this this ghetto that we were at, we got there and we were all like, all right, so where's the ghetto? Like, what what is it? And she was like, this is it. And it was like a a pretty like nice like a uh, low income house. Like you know, it was like it was a, just a park. It was an apartment complex with a park in the middle of it. A pirate ship. Yeah, it had a bad playground. It was a, a pretend park. Yeah, it had a massive like <laughs> open workout Tried space right before it. And like she was telling us about this company. So I think it's like well, we, we compared it to like you would never take a running tour to, like, a, like low-income housing in the Bronx or something. Right, probably. yeah, if you did this in New York, you would it would be a different kind of running tour. A was, lot of running. That was the a joke faster, we made. <laughs> Run for your life. <laughs> it was interesting, um, the people that liable was give, give jobs, a lot of them are from the lost generation, so the, the people, like, above 40 that aren't really in the workforce, and they're not really trying to educate uh these people, they don't see these people as, like, really make... They've been out of the workforce for a long time, and they, their skills are pretty behind compared to what's required in a modern workforce. So, it's but it's still really important to, to get these people, like, engaged in uh, society, like, however you can. So, some of the jobs they're providing, um, not shaking hands with me because shaking hands with me is super fun, but, like, <laughs> maybe, like, riding the bus or going for a walk or just activities that are good for, like mental health and being engaged in just in uh in society overall and it's it's sort of like a it's weird calling it a job because they call it they call it a job but it's more like to me it seems more like just incentivizing people to to live an active life ha- active healthier life and it also seems to me like a 
more like the beginnings of a basic income that is going to be kind of more and more necessary as technology um, makes a lot of lower skilled workers less necessary. Right, and it sparked a pretty interesting conversation because we, I think, a lot of people I think hold the belief that you know people who are unemployed or on welfare or whatever, like they can go out. Why don't they just go out and get a job working at McDonald's or like cleaning the streets or like doing laundry or doing like shitty jobs that no one would ever want to do? And instead of like putting people in that, like giving them those jobs, we don't necessarily think, or I don't think our group came to the consensus that that's not necessarily the best way to get them, you know, on their feet and establishing a, a reasonable life. And maybe this company libels is finding a different, more effective way to get people out of wealth, welfare by encouraging them to, you know, letting them know that there's stipulations in place where you can fuck up and like, we're, you're going to be fine. It's whereas safety net. Yeah. Whereas the U S does not have those. And I think that's a really big part of the welfare crisis. Um, is that people, a can't get these jobs, don't know how to do these jobs, but who the fuck would want to do any of these jobs also at the same time? Right. I think as Americans, it is really striking to me and it's really striking to you guys that public employment was such a big thing, is such a big thing in a lot of parts in Europe, um, where they're getting jo- like governments are giving out jobs, like, like basically creating jobs and guaranteeing people employment, like sweeping streets or something, which to us, uh, I think what Sarm was just saying, kind of reiterating that, like it seems kind of pointless to make people do something just to keep them busy so they're not like reflecting or like why is it necessary just to have to have someone sweeping streets that otherwise don't need to be swept it's very similar to um for people who watch house of cards the america works program i don't know are you up to yeah i know that yeah it's basically um the kevin spacey character his like his political um his whole plan is to give people jobs just to like make everyone work and I, I remember reading, like, economists really, think it's a terrible idea. It seems really mind... Like, yeah, really and that's terrible thing. for the taxpayer, too, because who would want their money to go towards jobs that don't need to be done just to support other people? Right. So that's where a lot of that resentment towards yeah. this, this, class, this does, part of the population... What Liable does a little bit differently is give people money to do things that are actually inherently good in themselves. Right. Or that they think are. So it's a better approach to the problem. It's better to pay someone to, let's say, exercise and be healthy or pay someone to serve as an apprentice to someone who does like who's in school or just to learn a skill that maybe doesn't yeah. need to. It doesn't need to be called a job. It's paying people to go to school themselves, that kind of thing. Yeah. is a lot more valuable than just saying, here, go pick up shit off the street and we'll pay you some amount of money. It doesn't really, it doesn't really need to be done, especially when there's technology that can do the jobs. Right. And I'm speaking of, you go ahead. I was gonna say, speaking of shit off the street, I even like the recycling program that they've created with the cans. <laughs> Brett, you love to keep the shit off the street. Segways. <laughs> <laughs> Been waiting for that one for a while. Jordan, go um, ahead. We'll just waste the segue. It was so perfect, and yeah, we won't now even I don't do know it. Whether to keep going with the segue and talk about Copenhagen as a I think we had we, we covered what, some pretty. Let's good move stuff on, on to that Brett's topic. point. You can continue with your... Oh, that, the, I think that's all Brett had. I think that was just a segue to now we're well, nowhere. It's more... <laughs> no, I was going to say that the country is spending the, some of these dollars also. Like when we were standing on that basketball court and, and then we were being told, you see all these like paintings on these buildings, they're all pro-recycling commercials. You know, the, the propaganda is the propaganda. For, for, for recycling for yeah. fake things. News. Fake news. That's fake news? Recycling is fake. It's another example of how Denmark is a very forward country and how their government is taking creative solutions towards actual problems. 
Um, like their big plan to uh, solve pollution and environmental issues like litter and all that stuff is by targeting the younger generation, um, by giving them easier things like Brett was saying, like putting graffiti propaganda to recycle. I like how um, we call marketing propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like they have these trash cans that are for specifically for like bicycles riders, so like you don't have to get off your bike to throw stuff away, so they like slant the garbage can. And then they have like Slanty they have can. they have a recycling rack on the public garbage can so people can like put their bottles on there. And they really encourage you to recycle because I saw the first night we were in Odense actually, we went to this supermarket and bought beer and there was two prices and I was like, What is that? And you're like, Oh, if you bring the cans back then this is what it'll cost. But if you just throw them away and don't recycle them, then you get charged way more. Or something like that. It's a pretty significant well, amount of money, right, that you get for the cans? Basically, you pay, like, one-seventh of a dollar extra for each. I, <laughs> That's how you're doing money? It's like <laughs> 14 one, cents. It's like one kroner, which is, like, 14 cents, according okay. to Mises' calculation. I'm good at calculation. And they, so they charge you one extra, and then you get, you get the one back if you take the can back to... The grocery store, which I never do, but but I don't throw them but out either. You the people that were friends, cleaning right? up were yeah. they were doing it specifically for that reason, like because I started to like help them clean up. And they're like, no, 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 don't throw this in there. Like this is specifically to take back to the store. Wait, the trash can itself had that separate compartment that's just for the recycled cans. They sit on the outer portion of yeah, the trash. Yeah, so that like people like a lot of time lower income people will walk around like collecting. Right. Cans. You're just doing them a solid, bro. But apparently, yeah. um, I asked the tour guide, doing do people lurk, lurk in the shadows waiting for cans to show up on the garbages and then make a mad dash for them so they can get the recycling money? And she was saying, no, that doesn't happen. I mean, that sounds like some sort of post-apocalyptic <laughs> developing world, not like a rich country like Denmark. Right, I think in New York City, that sort of plan would result in a lot of homeless people fighting over cans. I, I think it's a lot different I don't. I, no, I mean... It, there's you get money in the states homeless too for fighting over cans. yeah nickels. Right? <laughs> you yeah, see yeah, you, you see get, homeless people collecting not, cans and recycling all the time. They're probably New, fighting. New York City is also an incredibly rich like place. Like the, the states is richer than like Denmark. So like I, I wouldn't expect that to happen any, anywhere too intensely in in New York or anywhere. I mean think about like most people have had experiences in New York with giving homeless people money, and a lot of times homeless people don't even want if you give them something small enough they don't even want it because they're not they're, they're not like there's a certain amount there's a certain certain threshold that if you don't eclipse that like it's like the it's kind of offensive toward them so <laughs> yeah i don't know the situation is not that dire in either of these countries the u.s or denmark fair two, enough two of the world's richest places to be it does seem like a lot of the stuff that might work in Denmark, though, maybe not this specific thing, but a lot of the stuff like, um, I don't know, sort of co-op societies where people live in more harmonious places and harmonious settings, it doesn't seem like it would work quite as well in in bigger cities in the U.S. I mean, this is kind of speculative, but it's a different type of people, like even state by state in the United States, it's not people aren't acting the same, so a lot of the policies that might work, like incentivizing certain things, wouldn't be as useful in the U.S. as in Denmark. Like, I guess I'm just trying to put a finger on why a lot of the, the work programs in Denmark aren't being used in the U.S. Well, because they're not necessarily working in Denmark either, she said. Like, they're not seeing huge results, but at least they're, like, trying to do something. No, but but overall, like, poverty levels are a lot lower in Denmark, because, and, and, like, disparities between the rich and the poor are a lot smaller. There's a lot... 
less class distinction. And a lot of that is because of, like, if you look in history, Denmark's always had a, like, a, it's, it's a small country with a much, like, more, like, greater sense of solidarity, where the U.S. is, there's always been a big divide between um, urban and rural, and, and especially, like, whites and blacks, and that's been kind of an argument. Um, Obama said something like, we need, to, we need to stop framing the argument for redistribution and, and enhanced welfare services as taking resources from rich white people to give to poor black people, because that's how a lot of conservatives frame the argument, and it's really misleading, and it's playing off, like, old fears and, like, old like racist bigotry that's existed in the states for, yeah. for like centuries now. Um, it's definitely manipulative to that extent. But I guess what does what seems to not exist in Denmark nearly as much is the really really rich people, like the people that are I'd say billionaires who have all of these corporate interests that don't align with public needs or if those people do exist there's just way less of them, they care about their own personal interests way less, or maybe just the structure of the country doesn't lend itself to that, those kind of people having as much of an impact. I'm, I'm not really sure why there's so much more of that in the U.S. Even in, in Denmark, there, there is a lot of tension. There's a lot of, there's a lot more, like, the Muslim population is a lot bigger in Europe than it is in the U.S. I mean, it gets so much media attention in the U.S., but it's less than 1% of the population. And like all the Western European countries, is a lot higher than that, and that is a, definitely a big source of uh, political turmoil. Um, yeah, but I, I, I don't. I think a lot of it goes back to the two-party system in the U.S. and and in two-party systems, a lot of times it just they they tend to align more to the center right compared to proportional representation systems in Europe. Yeah, can you explain how that works? That that was something that I don't think we talked about last time we discussed Denmark when we did the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if you look back historically in proportional representation systems where you get as many electoral representatives as you win, uh, as the percentage you win of the votes. So if the Social Democrats win 30%, you get 30% of the House. Um, Instead and, of where if the Democrats the, win, they get full control, or the Republicans have full control. Right. They, they have the to actually work together. And the, par- the parliament has much more, the parliament has almost all the power in these countries. So if the Social Democrats have 30% and they want to make, uh, like, they, they want to be like the majority, they have to cooperate with one of the other parties. So to get a majority, they need 20 more percent. So maybe they'll co- cooperate with the Green Party, or let's say the People's Party, the Populist Party in Denmark wins they may have to form a coalition with the conservatives. Um, so there's more coalition building. But it's interesting because if you look um, back like over a few hundred cases in these proportional representation countries, their, their governments tend to be, like overwhelmingly, tend to be left, um, like center-left governments. Whereas if you look in majoritarian countries where one party, if you win 51-49, one party gets the entire presidency. Um, so, like, in the U.S., uh, the U.K., to a lesser extent, but still to a great extent, um, and possibly Australia and New Zealand, but um, those countries tend to be center-right. And the theory that um, the theory that's thrown out there is that in these majoritarian systems, the middle-class voter has to choose whether to align with the left or the right, and the middle class voter tends to choose to lean a little bit to the right because 
they see it as less risky and because they know that the right isn't going to increase taxes on them. And the middle class voter is worried that that the left may increase taxes on them. Mm -hmm. Whereas in proportional representation countries, the middle class voter can align with the, uh, the middle class party, can align with the other parties on the left to, to guarantee um, basically that they, they, they know they have a strong enough coalition to tax the rich and take more resources from the rich. So this all builds off the initial hypothesis, which is like median voter hypothesis, which is whichever party like caters to the median voter more wins, like the, the middle voter wins. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my best guess. Um, but a, a lot of people just talk about the lack of solidarity um, dating back because of the differences between blacks and whites yeah. as a main reason that it's been so hard to have a more progressive social system. Does, doesn't Denmark yeah. have seven political parties? Did we hear that somewhere? Yeah, I think seven is what our Tory had said, yeah. Wow. It seems like under that system you'd have more incremental stuff getting done, like a lot more change, but it doesn't move the needle of the whole system that much. Where in the U.S. there aren't as frequent changes, but they're very significant changes. Does that sort I, of make sense? No, I mean, I would say for, for that system there's just a lot more change overall. And the U.S., the like, it, it's just a lot harder to pass things because of the system of checks and balances in the U.S. is a lot more, um, it makes it a lot harder to, to like, make progress, I guess, because you need, you need, like, the Senate and the President, or the Senate and the House to overrule the President, like, it's, there's, a, there's all these complicated che checks and balances, whereas in a lot of these PR countries, it's more just the Parliament, if the Parliament has a majority, they can pass whatever legislation they want. So it could go a different way in the future because the benefits that the U.S. have may be more difficult to retrench also to remove because it also requires all these checks and balances to take things away. It requires checks and balances like the U.S. system to make any sort of change. Right. So Once a change has been made that's for the good, we can be more confident that it'll stay that way. But it also goes to the other side where when a bad change occurs that it's harder to remove it too. So I guess... Yeah, or it's, good harder, or it's harder to keep up with the rest of the world in terms of building more progressive, like, change. Right, it seems like that type of system, the U.S. type of system, relies on the, I guess, the goodwill and the intelligence of its people less, whereas in other countries <clears throat> there's there's more reliance, I mean, not intentionally, but just more systemic reliance on the on the people to make the right choices. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The systems definitely give people more power to make the right or wrong choices. Yeah, which is why we. I mean, me and you definitely value education at least as much as anything. Yeah, I mean, in the in the Scandinavian countries or the Nordic countries, like Finland, Denmark, Norway, Iceland, and Sweden, the public education systems are known for being like really good, and and there's not as much incentive to put your kids in private school because people are satisfied with the the public education systems, whereas in the U.S., a lot of rich families see it as necessary to, like, pay large sums that only they can afford to get much better education than, like, the bottom 5% of the population. Like, if you look at education, like, scores, they do international tests um, of just, like, general, I guess, like, general education, and the top end of the U.S. does really well, and it, it's, like, not better than the rest of the world, but similar to the rest mm -hmm. of the world. The top 5% of the U.S. and the top 5% of the rest of the world it's, are on the same playing field. Yeah, yeah. And the bottom, but the bottom 5 of the U.S., it, it really falls off. Like, the bottom 5%, 
they're way they're way behind like the bottom five percent in like the Nordic countries, for example. Hmm. What about the middle portion? The you know the main ninety percent. Um, the the gap the gap kind of gets bigger as you get lower. I guess okay. as you get towards the bottom five percent. So maybe in the seventy fifth percentile, it's still pretty similar, where the U S is maybe slightly behind, but it's yeah, it's it's behind, but not as not to the same extent. Gotcha. So it's sort of a linear progression where the lower down you go, the yeah. further behind the U S falls. Yeah, it kind of parallels um, income and wealth inequality in the U S. I think it's a similar story, right. where it, it's more unequal. We didn't even mention cost at this point, but if you're talking about like the top five percent in the U S. is Leverage is just you know putting all their money, putting themselves into debt maybe potentially to get that education that you mm-hmm. could get in another country that could be just as strong. I mean, right? Like I, when I was lived in Washington D.C., I lived with a couple of girls who went and got their MBAs in Spain for two thousand euros, you know, or something at the top school in Spain. But that's if they want to live in Spain. Maybe that's good, and maybe you don't want to go out there. But it's just, it's crazy. You don't want to go out in Spain? <laughs> I, 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 we can get to Spain. That was a great Spain's segue. Spain's great. Yeah, that was a great another segue. great segue by Brett. <laughs> but you, the, before, before we segue too far, the, um, the education numbers you're mentioning are completely independent of education costs, right? You're just talking about pure performance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, not, and you're not measuring the school. The schools are not being measured against each other. It's, just, it's the students. The, the, the yeah. statistical scores, right? So, yeah, it's hard to do a cost-value analysis necessarily, but that's just uh, my own inferior, sure. f- infuriation with costs and all that. Costs are bad. I don't want universities. <laughs> do you want to um, talk about Spain before we end? A little blowing up of stuff and fireworks and shit? Oh, so, yeah, so we went to Las, Las Fayas. Fayas. A festival in Spain where each each Valencia. in Valencia, where each uh, part of the city the spends all year making these giant paper mache figures, like, they're, and they're filled with flammable material, and they're supposed to make them satirical. It's been since 1942, I think. Um, every year they do this, where they celebrate for five days, like a citywide celebration. I don't know about you guys, it seemed like, like no one was working or going to school. They just, little kids are throwing fireworks across the streets and seeing that eight-year-old's just at, at each at you yes. as, as you walk it's by it's quite loud and quite scary I'm pretty sure Brett has PTSD now <laughs> yeah Brett pooped himself many times <laughs> mucho <laughs> mucho poop in the past yeah mucho cultural differences in Spain as well yeah I mean the the city really felt um not that not not so touched by the footprint of the outside world I'd say compared to even Copenhagen because I mean, first and foremost, people spoke Spanish there. They didn't. There wasn't. English was not the primary language there. Muy español. People spoke a, a little bit of English, but we we really needed to get by with our combination of uh, crappy public. <laughs> uh, as you maybe you maybe thought we we're pretty good at Spanish, listening to mucho parts of this. <laughs> Listeners may think that we're doing poor Spanish on purpose as a statement about the education system in America. I hope it doesn't come off as that. Mis nos mas, mas pequeños. Mas little bit of Spanish. Combined, though, we got by pretty well. We did good. Sturm ended up in the hospital. We can talk about that. No, no, thank you. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> we, we, yeah. Accidente. Accidente. Muy bueno. Um, I'm fine. I wanted to say Valencia is also, it was definitely a big, the biggest culture shock I've ever experienced. Um, I mean, I've visited places before, but 
everywhere I've gone, I guess, is very tourist focused. I've been like Amsterdam and like Dublin and London and Milan. I guess was would be another one where people didn't speak English as well. But not not having the English, the language barrier is a very mucho mucho mal. Um, <laughs> that means bad, right? Um, but also the overall uh, culture in Spain is something that I admired as well and I liked because they they had, like there's just little kids running around every night there's just, like yeah people were, like there's definitely was no school going on we would think like work was probably canceled for a lot of people too and there's just like a a huge level of freedom to all the citizens out there that I don't think would it would be like shocking to a lot of Americans like we said these little kids running around with very Dangerous and loud explosives that Jason Pierre-Paul couldn't even figure out, and he's a grown man. And by little, um, we mean like four-year-old kids no. popping, yeah, popping in a stroller, throwing fireworks. Yes. We remarked to ourselves many times that like if someone was being brutally gunned down in the streets, like you would not have had any idea because that's what it sounded like. Just gunshots going off at all times. It sounded like a war zone. For yeah, the and whole, it was just so, and time. people didn't even flinch in any way, except for. Uh, yeah. Well, that's what scared me the most was. I wasn't worried about, like, uh, you know, the adults, how they would handle fireworks, but I didn't know what a four-year-old would do. Yeah, they and that was the first time in my life I was around. The four-year-olds were the ones initiating it. The four-year-olds were the ones to be aware, wary of. Yeah. It's just, like, the kind of citywide celebration that I, I wouldn't, like, you have DJs in, like, random corners of the streets. You have people walking around everywhere and, like, main streets closed. And that's the kind of thing that I don't think happens in the U.S. And is mm. also... Like not, not I, I would compare it to Mardi Gras, but it's not a, a great comparison. It's as yeah, close perhaps, as you can get. Yeah, perhaps yeah. Mardi Gras, but but not not like mo- like everywhere else in the U.S. Yeah. And is that family? But you know, is, I've never been to Mardi Gras, but at like midnight, are families out together still? No, it's just like it's Mardi Gras is a very touristy kind of thing, and I feel like like everyone at Mardi Gras is from all over the place. Like you interact, you everybody comes in, but this I feel like was very. Valencia base like Jordan brought it up to us and none of us knew what it was as I was telling people where I was going no one knew what this was either and like we were definitely you know you could tell there was other you know people that came in tourists to be a part of it but for the most part it was like the city of Valencia just celebrating together Americans there I don't think whereas in Copenhagen yeah I don't. Yeah, I don't think we met any. In Americans. Copenhagen, it felt like everyone we were walking next to was yes. just, a, just yeah. American. To is. clarify Brett's question, though, the demographic in New Orleans for Mardi Gras is a bunch of people in their twenties and thirties that come just to drink, and in Valencia, it's mostly local families. So just whoever happens to two be around. Mi- yeah. two million. I mean, people. It's, it's that kind of thing that we're talking about wow. solidarity in the U.S. Two. Like that, that sort <laughs> of event could build solidarity because it actually brings the city yeah. together and it. It brings people out of their homes and involves it gives them like a shared thing to talk about. Yeah, it was a citywide block party. And the coolest part about it too is this is the main part we haven't really touched, these paper mache statues. Like I think each neighborhood or each borough, whatever, makes their own statue. And I guess that might also be a sense of pride and a sense of like rallying. Like you you go that like oh also like the first time we went out, there was a hundred like everyone we saw was wearing like different colored jackets. Like the, I think there was students that were from like different campuses or different educa- disciplines or something like that. Same colored jackets. Um, Same as each other. Right. No, but there was like a groups. there was a red group. There was a blue was a group. Blue there was an orange group. There was a yellow group. There was yes. a green group. Um, and I think Excellent. it was very like sense of pride. And I think that's a big European thing. You see it with like like soccer teams. You see it with like this kind of stuff too. Um, and just like the culture, I think there's a very large sense of pride for being Spanish, whereas. Being an American these days is met with a big sense of apathy and like kind of 
resentment towards your culture. We're doing that right now on this yes. episode. Yes. Only implicitly. Yeah. And, oh, sure. And maybe explicitly a little bit. Too. Some uh, of each. But like people just like drinking and partying in the streets, carrying around like full bottles of alcohol, wine, liquor, just drinking massive Fantas. Um, <laughs> All the damn time. And I barely so saw. Soda. Like there was, <laughs> there was definitely a large police presence just to like block off certain areas. And such, but like the cops didn't fuck with us at all. Like we were, I mean, we didn't do anything wrong. But like, and I feel like in America, there's so much security, and the cops are like always on you in one of these situations. I mean, like rightly so, they should be well, like, alert and over aware. But here, I feel like it, they just knew, they trusted the people enough to, to right. do their thing. There was a time I remember this this uh, probably ten year old girl threw like a pretty like serious looking firecracker. And then saw like people walking towards it and started screaming. She's like, "No, no, 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 no. back up, back up!" <laughs> and then just blew up. Right that there, was like, horrifying. Five feet in front of us. Yeah. Well, there's also that guy that took our picture, threw one directly at us afterwards <laughs> oh, too. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, then, he then he just laughed. maniacally laughed at us. <laughs> like, ah, I got you. Ah, you might <laughs> die. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid American. Yeah, they sensed Brett's fear. They saw the fear in his. People. It's very animalistic. Yeah. Take advantage of the idiot Americans who are very scared. Yeah, but I think like a big thing for me like the whole time my mom was telling me like oh be watch out for pickpockets like be careful don't get take like and people i think there's it's a natural fear to be scared when you're on vacation and you're in an element like that that you're gonna be an easy target or you're gonna you know be in some kind of danger and i definitely felt like once we first got there i had like a little anxiety around that that i was like i was like very overwhelmed to be in a place where i did not understand anything i probably stood out as someone i was very easily noticeable that i was a tourist but throughout the entire trip we were not in any you know, danger whatsoever. I don't the mean like explosions were worse than the yeah, pickpocketing. Yeah, probably. like everything was fine. Like you know, there was <laughs> yeah, nothing. Getting pulled, maybe blown up. People were just so chill, bro. <laughs> and even I just look back to the night when we were at the the club, and you know, we were all a little bit overwhelmed of how do we talk to anyone? How do we go about you know interacting? And yeah, I was like. Bleh, bleh. Jordan went forgot, right up to I people. I forgot how to talk to people. <laughs> I was just was making noises. <laughs> That's yeah, my like, They were like, is Let's that English throat, or is it Spanish? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I liked how Jordan was able, you know, we would, he, he's like, no, people might speak English here. Let's, uh, you know, the younger generation. And we were able to just very able through that. It's not very young, our <laughs> age. What are you talking about? But, but, but that was interesting too. Cause like when we were in the restaurants, it was not so much like that. Yeah, no, that's true. That's definitely true. Yeah. It seemed like uh, out of the younger people, they at least spoke some English. And we spoke some... Spanish? Uh, Mas o menos Spanish. Mas o menos muy Spanish. Grande Spanish. <laughs> Grande <laughs> amount of Spanish. <laughs> large Spanish. We don't speak a lot of Spanish, but we speak big Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, big. Spain's cool. Also, siestas. Dope. Dope idea. Siestas are super cool. Yeah. What about... Bullfights. Bullfights. Terrible. Not, not as dope. Well, we didn't see a bullfight. We saw like a bull heckling. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we saw a bull getting teased. We saw <laughs> bullying. For, for an hour. Yeah. And then the bull we went. now know where the phrase bullying comes from. Yes. <laughs> the, bull went, the bull went back to his home and he was fine. But he did get berated for a while yeah. by these four gentlemen. Wait, what should we call those athletes who chase the bull <laughs> around and wave at them? Those it, was, were, it was basically watching people play tag with like a... Unfair advantages, largely like steps and things. Like they a, climb on. If they get tagged, they don't 
become it, they die. Yeah, one guy's <laughs> ankle, I think, got broken, and he was still trying to play the game of tag. The bull, like, pinned his oh. foot in against the wall. It was it was a little bit frightening. There were some weird things. And then, at one point, this dude, uh, I didn't. I looked away for a second, and I looked back up, and there was a fifth guy in the ring. He was just a guy with, this guy with jeans and a jacket. Me and Sarm thought maybe it was We like, thought he was, like, a designated backup or something. I, that's what I assumed. Like, no, but later we were speculating that maybe this was some sort of gang initiation. Yeah. Once, once he was on, like, <laughs> okay. similar to you would see in the States, like, everyone was applauding for, like, like a streaker. Yeah, sort of he thing. was a spectator that had run out onto the field to play with the bull as well. <laughs> and he, like, dodged it a couple times and then just, like, jumped off and went back to his seat. And the whole the crowd went wild. Is that the closest <laughs> to the bull that any? of the actual chumps yeah, he who almost professionals. died and security didn't like they like looked at him and they were like tried to get him out of the ring but once he escaped successfully like they were they were like alright that's all like, well, once he got close to the bowl, they were like we're not gonna get him out of here now I'm not going no away. but they also let him return to his seat and like enjoy the rest <laughs> yeah. of the yeah. event, super weird. as a god among men <laughs> yeah, so that was fucking weird yeah dude just they're just mad chill bro I want to be there and take siestas with them and stay so up. So now we're rolling on the bed imagining a good <laughs> siesta in America. They One st- could even characterize this as a good siesta. Well, they stay up to like 5 in the morning and they wake up and then they eat late and then they just go to sleep when they're sleepy and wake up and then just eat late again. And it's just like a never-ending... They never work or go to school or do anything. <laughs> yeah. They just eat, sleep, and drink. And, and, so, and throw bombs at Brett. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the bull fight, after watching it for about a minute, I was pretty uh, disgusted, and I regretted giving 10 euros to to the Spaniards um, f- to support this sort of industry, but I was glad to see that the bull survived, despite perhaps setba- uh, potential setbacks to his self-esteem, as a, on account of being teased for... <laughs> If, 45 minutes If the straight. bullfighters want to sponsor Preaching Sense, we will not take their money. We will take a stab no, against you, the bulls. You keep your money. <laughs> you keep your money, stupid bulls. We pour blood on... <laughs> Brett, can you tell us how people protest bulls? <laughs> they may or may not be using bull blood. Is that... Is that That's un, from Brett's understanding. <laughs> <laughs> they protest the bullfight by throwing blood of bulls at them. <laughs> so they kill bulls to protest <laughs> bulls being killed. We'll teach you guys. <laughs> Guess I was right. <laughs> Guess we were right. All right, that sounds like we should end with guess I was right. Is that enough? Or do you want to preach? We preached some sense. We should play that game. I want to play that game. We're going to play the game. It's called Ulf. Out of left field. I'm leaving. Jacob's ladder. No, Stern, play one round with us. You must. We're gonna. We don't. Let's not do Jacob's ladder. We climbed up a ladder very high. It was scary. I hate this game. Do you want to it up. Do you want to briefly say any other things? Then we also went to this basement dungeon in the pitch black. This is Brett just telling his parents what he did. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not miss any details. Some military guy walks us into a dark hole and says, "Find your way out, boys." And we instead of the game, mucho friends. Instead, Brett had mucho. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Brett, Brett, can you give us that one uh, Bane quote from the deleted scenes that? (laughs) So, uh, hey Bane, do you mind if I have your Netflix account (laughs) password or? You must untangle the DNA code. <laughs> Every once in a while, Brett says something completely nonsensical and gibberish, and does I, it's crazy. I'll blame it on the wine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good podcast, guys. The end. We've never ended with clapping. <laughs>